0: Christian is adopted, what we are saying is we have been pulled out of our lives and our families of sin into a new family of faith. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed. We also closed last week by mentioning the fact that the way that we should view non-believers is not just as casual observers who are callous to the gospel, but we should see non-believers as orphans. Orphans who need to be adopted into a family of faith. And I hope that as we close last week, perhaps we change our view towards unbelievers. Normally we're harsh and hard towards unbelievers, but what we should be is is a little bit more gracious, a little bit more merciful, a little bit more loving, realizing that they are orphans who need to be adopted into this new family of faith. We also talked about the fact that all of us, if we think about it, come from broken families of sin, and we need to be placed in a right whole family of believers in our faith. Not only that, but it is not that we are slaves, y'all, but it is that we are children. Even though we do at times act like slaves, we are indeed the children of God. But today we're going to talk about what we long for and ultimately what we long for as Christians, even though we have been adopted, even though we have changed families, we long for that process to be completed. We long for the full adoption process to complete itself. And so today's sermon title is The Adoption Process. We talked about the fact that we've been adopted, but what is the adoption process for us as believers? And in order for you to understand it, I want you to picture this. Picture in your mind, you are in an orphanage and you have been told that you have been adopted. After years of waiting, you have officially been adopted. And so there is the excitement of having been adopted, having your status changed. But there is also the reluctance because you still need to change residence. So it is one thing to know, hey, I've been adopted officially. It is one thing to know I have had a change in status. But while you're in that orphanage, you are at least waiting to be picked up. You are waiting for your residence to change. And and that's what we're going to talk about today. What has happened to us is, yes, as believers, we have been adopted. We have had a change in status, but we are still longing, y'all. We are still longing for the completion of that process, which is for the whole of ourselves to be redeemed. And we're going to learn that this is not just us, but the Bible says that all of creation is longing for the process to be completed. And so we have to wrestle with this. How do we reconcile this? If I have been adopted, what does it mean for that process to be completed in our lives? To do this, we're starting in Romans chapter eight and we're starting first in the 17th verse. Where we left off last week, Romans eight seventeen, and it reads, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Lord, as we get ready to jump into this text again this week, as we get ready to wrestle through it, Lord, help us see and know that we need to see and have this process completed in us. God, help us see and know that we are all longing for something. We are longing, God, for the redemption of our bodies and the entire world. And help us understand today what you have called us to do in the midst of our waiting, So that as we wait, we will have a hope. And as we wait, we will be conformed into your image. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we learned that those of us who have been adopted, the proof of that adoption is that we are being led by the Spirit. So you can't just say, hey, I'm a Christian, or I believe in the Lord, or I believe in God. But the evidence for those of us who profess Christianity is not that we are being led by our desires. We're not being led by our own volition, but we are actually being led by the spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. You know, as we talked about last week, you can recognize usually a person's child because sometimes they image that person physically. They just look like them. They talk like them. They act like them. But in the case for believers, we don't image God physically. We don't look like God physically. But the way that you know that Christians are Christians is that we are being led by God spiritually. We look like him spiritually. The decisions we make are not led by our own desires. They're not led by our own flesh, what we want, but they're led by the Holy Spirit. We image God by looking like him spiritually. We learn this in Galatians. It says there is a way that you don't look like God. That's in your flesh. But the way that you look like God is through the fruit of the spirit. Now, to be clear, there is one fruit, but it produces non-attributes. So if you're a Christian, you can't say, well, I've got some of the fruit, but then I ain't got others. Either you have all of the fruit of the Spirit, or you have none of the fruit of the Spirit. Some of which is love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, which is self control, goodness, meekness, kindness. So you can't say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't have the patience. Or I'm a Christian, I just ain't kind, or I'm just not gentle. If you are a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit should be growing up in you. Now, Paul goes even further this week. And to understand what that means is, he says that we have a contingency. Now, to explain what that means, when I used to work at the bank, we used to deal a lot with wheels. And so... A lot of times what people would do when they would leave a will is they would have a contingency. You will receive the inheritance, but it it means there's some stuff you've got to do first. So what are the contingencies that Paul says for us who believe from this text? Well, if you go back to it, he actually says it very clearly. He says that we are heirs with God. But he says this, provided we suffer with him, provided we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified with him. So according to Paul, the contingency in order for us to know that we will receive the inheritance of the redemption of the world in our bodies is that we are suffering with Christ. Now, isn't that contradictory? I mean, after all, if we continue to think about this adoption illustration, nobody wants to be adopted from an orphanage into poverty. Nobody wants to be adopted from at least having somewhere to sleep to having no bed. So why is he saying, yeah, we have been adopted, but as a part of your adoption, You must suffer. I don't know about you, but in my natural mind, that's a little confusing. Why is there even a contingency for an inheritance in the first place? After all, if you're a family member and you've been left an inheritance, shouldn't you just get it? I mean, you were born in the right family. You did the right thing. Shouldn't you just get an inheritance? Why is there a contingency on it in the first place? Well, let's think about this. It depends on the value of the inheritance. Again, in my time working in a bank, sometimes people will leave an inheritance. And it's like, I'm going to leave my family so much money. And they say, I'm leaving them $500. Which, look, I'm not knocking it. That's a lot of money to somebody. But when I think of an inheritance, I ain't thinking hundreds. I'm thinking thousands. But when they would leave such a little inheritance, there was nothing they wanted the family member to do. It's like when I die, they'll get it. That's it. But when I would work with our higher value customers, they would come in and not just thousands. They would leave hundreds of thousands of dollars for their family members. But you know what came with that? contingency? There was some stuff that the family was going to have to do in order to make sure that they weren't wasting the money that was left. In the same way, adoption for the Christian is a one-step process, but, y'all, it's completed over all of our life. And that is what we call sanctification. When someone would come up and set a trust up for one of those family members, And they were leaving them hundreds of thousands of dollars one of the most common things that they said the most common contingency in order for them to receive that inheritance was they have to graduate college or they said they have to get married or they have to buy a house now why is it that they put such a strenuous contingency on this money well you may or may not know this but there is a big difference between a 10-year-old and a 20-plus-year-old getting an inheritance. Now, what are some of the differences? Well, maturity, morals, values. A 22-year-old has grown. Maybe if they've gone to college, they've experienced life. As a result of experiencing life, they've gained wisdom. But more than anything... They have learned to prize and value what has been left for them. I don't know about you, but I never really understood the value of money until I was the one who had to get the money. I never realized what my folks were actually giving up to put groceries in the house. I just thought they showed up. I never realized how much it took to keep a car full of gas and to put insurance on it and to take care of a house and to take care of the kids and to do all this stuff. So one of the things I've learned as I've grown, as I've gotten older is, oh, wait, every dollar has some value to it. In the same way, yes, we as Christians have been left this inheritance, but we don't understand the value of it until we've lived a little bit. We don't understand the value of what it means to be made whole in Christ until you've been broken. We sung that song today, and some of us don't sing it with the same conviction, but I want you to think about it. If you've never needed God to actually provide for you, you don't sing the words provider with any conviction. <laughs> If you've never really been sick, you don't sing the words, he's a healer with any conviction. But if you've ever been down and out and bad, you know just how bad it can get. And so when they sing, he's a provider, you know the only way that I am who I am and where I am is because God provided. The only way that I can get up and walk and function and move and as the Bible says, have my being is because God is a healer. The only way that I know the Lord is because he is a deliverer. Some of us don't realize that yet, but that's what we do as we suffer through life. God through our suffering, reveals his nature and his character to us. I would not have known that God was as good as he was if things had not been as bad as they were. And so as we suffer through life, you know what God does? He helps us prize this inheritance that he has left for us. Now, what validates that we are actually his children? It is that we are being led by the spirit. Being led by the spirit means that I'm not just looking in this life for what makes me happy. I'm not just looking in this life for what brings me comfort. But I'm looking at what most glorifies God. I'm looking at what most glorifies God. And so it's a simple equation. The lack of suffering, according to Paul, means a lack of glorification. The person who saves their life on this earth and treats this life as eternity, they get their glory now. I like the way Jesus said it better. He says, those of you who save your life, well, you've lost it. But those of you who are willing to give up your life for my sake, not only have you gained that life, but you've gained eternal life. Y'all, it's a rational exchange. Would I rather have temporal life or would I rather have eternal life? So what's the relationship between us suffering and us being glorified later? Well, it depends on what kind of suffering you're talking about. All of us love to quote Job, and we talk about what Job went through. But Job, I think he says it as clearly as we can understand it when he says, I know why I'm suffering. He says, I know why I'm suffering. And he says it like this. But after I have been tried by fire. (laughs) Maybe that's an analogy. (laughs) After I have been tried by fire, he says, only then will I come out as pure gold. He says in that process of God causing him to lose his family, lose all his money, to be ridiculed, lose his friends, to lose his health. He said, I endured all of that because God was purifying me. He was cleaning me up, but he was proving me. Proven for what? What did Job need to be proven for? What does Paul say? He says, for I consider that these current sufferings, they are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. We suffer because we are being sanctified. But y'all, at the end of our suffering." At the end of our sanctification, we will be glorified. Paul says that we will take off these broken bodies and we will put on new glorified bodies. So want you think about it like this, as a person who makes it his business to work out a lot, to try not to eat terrible things, I realized that the reason a lot of people struggle going to the gym and losing weight and getting in shape is not about what they want to be later. Everybody wants to be in shape later. The problem is, in order to be in shape later, I got to do some stuff now. I got to eat right now so I look good at the beach later. I got to Work out now so I look good later. And most of us struggle doing what we need to do now with an eye towards later. And so I want you to think about this. We have been called to submit our lives and our bodies to the suffering that this world will bring, but we do it With our eyes set toward the future. Paul says that the suffering and the glory, you can't even compare the two. Remember, Jesus says that you will be hated, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If we are saved, how will we be saved? Well, we will be saved because we will fully receive our inheritance. Like that adopted child that I mentioned at the beginning that awaits his parents to pick him up. His status is redeemed, but he's waiting for his residence to be redeemed as well. Y'all, our status has been redeemed. We are children of God, but we await the full revelation of that redemption. We want to have a change in residence. Now, these sufferings, by the way, Paul says, are not just restricted to the Christian only, but he says all of creation is suffering. When we see loss, when we see violence, when we see abuse, when we see immorality, when we see racism, we see hatred, he says all that the world endures, all the suffering we see In the world, it is not worthy to be compared to God's glory. Y'all, suffering afflicts all of creation. But he says that creation is waiting for the revelation of those of us who are the sons of God. Creation here doesn't speak humanly, but he's actually talking cosmically. Creation responds to sin. Everything that we see in our world, all of the brokenness, is a response to the sin that we are in in this world. When you read the Bible, you see sin and you see flood and you see plagues, you see the disruption of God's order means that he uses the world for reproof and for correction. Even at the end, the Bible talks about how God's judgment will be seen through earthquakes and famines. Nature responds to sin, and Paul says that it groans. He says that all of the creation groans for the sons of God to be the sons of God. It makes sense to me why when Cain is killed, when Abel is killed by Cain, rather, the Bible says that his blood cried out from the ground. It was the effect of Cain's sin on creation. Now, where the blood of Cain cried, Paul says creation now groans. Then he says this. He says that all of us and all of creation has been subjected to that, that pain and that suffering, that futility. And it says, but it's been subjected by him who subjected it. Who did that? Who subjected us to suffering? Was it Adam? No. Is Satan causing your family members to get sick and die? No. No. How do I know that? Because if Satan were causing your family members to get sick and die, you know what would happen? We'd all be dead. It is not Satan who causes the suffering. It is God. God is the source of all of our suffering. And that's what Paul is saying here. And ultimately, yes, it is a punishment for the sin that happened in Eden. But for those of us who know the Lord, the pain that we endure, as permanent as it feels, you know what? It's temporary. It is a light affliction, and it lasts only for a moment. But we are waiting to be set free. And this is where the process is really becoming clear for us. Yeah, if you're a Christian, you have been set free from sin's reign, okay? So sin no longer takes charge in your life. But we still need to be set free from sin's pain. In verse 22, he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen, that's not hope for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so he gives us some context here. What if the pain, what if the suffering we've endured is not negative? What kind of pain is he describing here? He's describing labor pains. So what was a negative is now a positive. Jesus goes even further in John 16, 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. What if our perspective should be changed? What if we are not afflicted and in pain because we're sick? What if we, what if we are in pain because we're in labor? These are labor pains. And the suffering that we endure means that we should anticipate that deliverance is near. Jesus says that even though the pain of a child-birthing woman is is so serious, the moment that she has that child, the moment that she looks at that life, the moment that deliverance has happened, she doesn't remember that pain anymore. Y'all, I have seen that miracle, as you know, quite a few times. And it amazes me that it does not matter how terrible the labor pains were. It doesn't matter how long the labor was. The second that child was born, my wife's whole disposition changed. Because you realize that that pain was bringing in the newness. All of creation groans, but so do we as Christians. We are groaning to go home. We are groaning, Paul says, for the redemption of our bodies, for the redemption of this world, for the completion of the adoption process. And he says, look, what we hope in, we don't see it yet. We don't see it yet. We hope in what is not seen. And he makes it clear. He says, if what you hope in, you can see, that's not hope. And I believe that is a warning, but I also think that's an encouragement. If you can see it, don't hope in it. If what we hope in We can't see. We have faith that we will see. And y'all, that is called full, whole life redemption. It is deliverance. God wants to redeem not the part of who we are, but God wants to redeem the whole of who we are. Now, this message should help our world because every single one of us knows that there are people in the world who are broken. Every one of us is broken until we are made whole in Christ. The reason why this message is so significant is because as we exist in a broken world, we have to believe that the truth of the gospel, I don't care how gruesome I don't care how ugly, I don't care how painful the brokenness is. Jesus makes it whole. It's that simple. And there is no element of brokenness in your life that Jesus is not concerned about. He cares about every aspect of who we are the parts of our lives that are publicly broken that all can see, and those broken pieces that we've been sweeping under the rug for years. You can give all of that to Christ and he can make it whole. And I'm not talking about gluing pieces back together. He can take what was broken and make it completely whole again. Y'all, you may have felt, as I have felt over the last few years, that it seems like the labor pains, the pains that we endure have gotten worse. When you think about that woman birthing that child, yeah, the pain Tends to get worse when? Closer to labor. The closer you are to delivering that child, the worse the pain tends to get. So 1 John says this, 1 John 3 and 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Y'all, my encouragement, my brothers and sisters, is that our redemption is nearer now Than when we first believed. Our redemption is nearer today. Than it was yesterday. And let's think about this. We can endure pain and suffering. Because of what is being birthed. But what about those who are lost? For those of us who don't know the Lord. What does their pain and suffering lead to? Isn't this a terrible thing to think that I would endure in this life decades of pain and suffering only to die and open my eyes to an eternity of pain and suffering? We should make it our business to share the gospel. He closes like this, he says in verses 26, Likewise, the Spirit, well, he helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now continuing continue with this adoption theme as I wrap up. Not only do we have an adopter, not only have we been adopted, but y'all, we've also got a caseworker. We have a caseworker in the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that he speaks On our behalf we can be overwhelmed sometimes and I don't know about you but it doesn't matter how much I pray how much I read there are seriously times where I don't know what God's will is for me to do yet my caseworker does and when I pray and I say Lord I don't know what you want to do According to Paul, the spirit speaks on my behalf and he intercedes when I don't even know what to pray for. When I don't even know which direction to go, the spirit speaks on my behalf. Have you ever been down so bad? And I mean down, down. That you didn't know up from down, right from left, where you tried to pray for God's will, but you didn't even know where to begin. Maybe that's just me. But y'all, I've been there. I've been in the place where I knew I had to go somewhere. I just didn't know where, where it was. (laughs) And the spirit spoke on my behalf. I'll never forget share this story. It's not even in the sermon notes. When our building got destroyed by a tornado, our former building, and people were asking me, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Because I didn't. I didn't even know where to start. I had no direction. I had no connections. We didn't have enough money to buy a building, so I knew what we couldn't do. And all I did, and all the people of our church did, was pray. Lord, I had no idea what direction we were going to go, but he did. I didn't even know what to pray for. Should I pray for a builder? Should I pray for the money? What do I pray for? And the Lord gave me a caseworker in the Holy Spirit that even when I was uttering what I thought were meaningless prayers, he was speaking on my behalf. And I'll tell you like this. I have lived in my short life. I have lived long enough to know that there have been times that I prayed for one thing. And by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, that's what he's asking for. This is what he needs. And I didn't get what I wanted. But you know what I got? I got what I needed. I'm so grateful that the spirit goes before me. And that means that when I don't know what to say, when we don't know what to say, we can just shut up and say, Lord, whatever your will is, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, and be confident, as he said, that all things work together for our good and for his glory. And he can put together the pieces of our life. I'm reminded of those words that Joseph has as his brothers come to him, having sold him into slavery, having intended for him to die. And with grace and tears, as they repented before him, he looked them in their face, he says, what you meant for evil. God always meant for good. And that means that even if it doesn't feel good, that it is good. So what is the outlook? For those whom he foreknew, he knew us ahead of ourselves, he chose us, he predestined For those of us who know the Lord to be conformed into the image of his son so that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, that means he chose us before we were even born, he called us. And those of us who he called to himself, he justified us. That means he has declared us righteous. And those of us whom he has declared righteous, he is also glorified. That means one day we will go from clothed in these bodies to clothed in new glorified bodies. We will watch as this world is redeemed. And we will live here for all of eternity in a redeemed world with redeemed bodies. And Jesus has promised that he is going to wipe away the tears from our eyes that is the completion of the process and I don't know about you but as the days go by I long I long for the completion of that process to be with Jesus forever let's pray Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we do know that we have been adopted. And as we are grateful for having been adopted, Lord, we do still long and yearn to be with you, to be in your presence, to see the whole of ourselves be redeemed, the whole of our bodies be transformed. God, there are many of us in this room who are enduring so much. We endure loss. We we are enduring sickness. We are enduring hurt, abuse. We say, okay, I've been adopted. I've been changed. I've been saved. But where is the deliverance? God, help us hope in what you have provided for us more than anything knowing that we have received an inheritance. And God, we earnestly long to be in right relationship with you. To be with you. To have our bodies redeemed. And to have our souls forever kept and placed in your care. Lord, if there is anyone in this room who does not know you, my prayer is that today this would be the day that their eyes were open, their spiritual ears were open, they would know you they would come into the knowledge of the truth it is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen